I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Lama Surya Das, the American Lama. Welcome again to our Awakening Now podcast here on the Be Here Now Network, inspired by Ram Das. And there are other teachers and mentors and el- spiritual elders and leaders here, too. So check it out. And today, well, we all know what's going on in the world and in our country, and perhaps we even know what's going on within ourselves and each other and our relations and how we relate to things, which makes all the difference, not what happens, but how we relate to it. So today I have here with me our guest, C.J. Lou from the Pacific Northwest, and um, we're going to be talking about the Buddha in your backyard. I don't know if you have a backyard, but you know what that means. Some call it the Buddha in your hand, palm of your hand, the Buddha within. doesn't have to be Buddha. But, CJ, do you have a Buddha in your backyard? And I don't mean just a statue. Um, I, uh, I have a Buddha. In my, I have two Buddhas in my front yard. I have a Buddha on top of my fireplace. I have a Buddha on my bookshelf. I have many, many Buddhas, but I don't have one in my backyard. Okay. However, I'm trying to... Like you have Buddha in your life. It's yes, like I am. here and a Buddha there, here a Buddha, there a Buddha, everywhere. Everywhere a Buddha, a Buddha, like the hokey pokey, but the Buddha. Yes, I I, I hope I'm, I'm attempting really, really hard to have the Buddha on the inside versus... Because the hokey pokey is you put your foot in there and you put your foot. Yeah. I guess actually the hokey pokey is a perfect dance for it, right? Because you put yeah. your right and foot in. And right? that's what it's all about. about. 
Oh, that's what it's all about. I always wanted to know what it's all about. It's about the hokey pokey. It is. <laughs> How hokey. Right, because you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, and you spin it all about. You do the, yeah, That is basically, it's a spiritual song. I didn't understand it until this very moment. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we've opened your third eye <laughs> or your third year. I don't know. <laughs> Are you saying but, I'm only three years old? Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, yes, the inner child. Buddha is always there um, and wants to sing and dance and enjoy together. So it's nice to have you on. And I've been on your radio show a few times. And I'm sure people are aware of that, but maybe you want to mention something about that so people could follow up and follow you. Yeah, so um, I, um, you're one of my all, you probably don't know this, but you're one of my all-time favorite guests. I have you on as much as I possibly can. Um, I you. You know that. Yeah, I, um, uh, my show is called Fired Up with CJ, and I just adore having you on the show. And I literally, I, I reference you, I, I don't, you probably have no idea how much you're part of my life. We referenced things that you've said or um, just the wonderful way in which you go through life, which is um, with full of humor and joy mm -hmm. and realness and authenticity, it's, which is what I love. So I have you on my show all the time. So I'm so happy to be here and be with you. All Thank you. It's a pleasure um, to see you and, you know, and be together. And, this question of how we can, what you said, I hope, you know, you could find the Buddha or whatever people call it within, especially in these cacophonous and fractious partisan days. But life is challenging always, and um, it's not always easy, even here in the first world with all the advantages that you and I enjoy, which everybody in the world doesn't have, but even here. Uh, we read the news and we see what's going on and um, people are very angry and uh, argumentative and unhappy and restless and uh, there's a lot of inequality and injustice. So I wonder, how do you find peace within if you don't have a Buddha in your backyard? See, I have a Buddha in my backyard. So I just yeah. look at it. I put out some breadcrumbs out there and then watch the birds and the rabbits and I feel like I'm doing a good deed. For <laughs> no, that's not that profound. I think it's super profound, actually. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be you, but right now I'm me, sadly. <laughs> so I don't know. I have. There's a part of me that gets super meta, and I think, well, and I get all you know. Everything is impermanent, and somehow the divine order is. Just like destroying everything or like Kali destroying everything in its path. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's what's needed to be done. I don't understand it. I don't want it. I don't understand it. I'm grasping what, what used to be, but I still, there was a part of me that goes, well, maybe this is good for me. Um, maybe I have to let go of a bunch of different things. So there's that part. That's my meta mm -hmm. part. There's the CJ that argues with her husband because my yeah. husband, what happens is my husband gets really upset and then I get meta with him and then he gets mad at me because I go <laughs> And then there are You're times so when I'm higher than him. It must be hard for him. It is. A, a view of yourself from up there. 
I need to just Looking say down on him. I know he said, he said, he said exactly. He said, just say to me, ah, or I get it, or I'm mad too, because it makes it it's upsetting him that I'm not equally upset. So what do you, do you get upset when you like what, when you listen to the news, does it hit you and then you go someplace else or what happens for you when you hear the news? Well, yes, I get upset and I feel angry, but um, I can also manage that, you know, and I try to see like where the other people are coming from and think if I grew up there and I had that information and I was in that information silo listening to that news or I didn't read or I live in the blue bubble here in Massachusetts or in America, even, you know, a democratic country rather than the Middle East or the Amazon rainforest, you know, in a tribe, um, I would probably see things the way they see it. Yeah. So I was quite upset by the hearings last week. And yet I was very, very touched and moved by the brave women who spoke truth to power. And I think that was unbelievable. And they moved the needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps more than 100 a million women march in Washington might have done at that time. And it's encouraging. So, um, and this too shall pass, as you said, in the meta view, as you said, CJ, in the meta view, in the bigger view, we know this too shall pass. Uh, On the other hand, it does seem like a new era and the new normal. It's not just it ain't what it used to be, but it's not so great. And a lot of people are suffering from it. Now, you know, if we think about like the tsunami that just washed over Indonesia and 800 people reported dead already and all the loss, you know, like Haiti a few years ago or Katrina, that's, of course, that's a bigger problem. But we have some real endemic problems here in this country and women not being heard, abuse victims and incest victims not being heard. whether it's pedophile priests being switched here and there and protected by the institution or the old boys network or senators and Congress people being protected by the institution. It's not that different. So I I feel like um, optimistic that things can be changed for the better, Mm. but we have to work on it Mm. and be truth to power and do it together and wake up and not just react angrily and kind. Like if a Supreme Court judge gets mad and lashes out, that tells you something about him. It's not that objective. And yet those young women who accosted the senator at the elevator that was went viral all over the web, they didn't lose it. And they didn't insult. And they stayed on point and on mission. And I would say that that was like some kind of practice of nonviolent or mindful politics. Mm. That was very awesome. And yeah, they, I haven't. They, have on mission. they did yeah. not get pushed away, but they didn't attack and they repeated what they had to say and they got and they were personal about themselves, not about him. And it was very impressive. And I would put that down to like some learning that we've done in the last generations about how to speak truth to power and how to be mindful, how to listen to yourself 
and how to really make a difference and do it together. I was glad there were two of them and not one, and not just an angry crowd with some things being thrown either. You know what I found curious, though, is that um, during a lot of the news reports were saying, I find both of these pe people credible. I find that each of these stories to be compelling, incredible, and and that that disturbed me at some level because I, I, I understood, I could feel the pain, I could see the pain in Kavanaugh's face when he was um, talking, and, but I could also see the anger and the lack mm -hmm. of composition, you know, um, composure. I, I I don't know what to think about it, but I think it's the thing that you started off with is that there's so many truths, right? I mean, from his perspective, I think, I don't know if he's speaking truth to his, he's probably thinking he's going through speaking truth to power as well, right? Because he feels like in his world, he's the victim of some abusive political power. But I can't, I have a hard time reconciling this truth. How, what's the truth that you hear in his position? Well, he obviously took umbrage and lashed back and felt victimized and said that he earned his way and all, but he left out that he was part of the privileged class and went to, grew up in the wealthy suburbs of DC and went to a private high school, which, you know. Georgetown so, Prep or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yale, and other things that he, you know, just takes for granted. So speaking truth to power is usually something that comes from the underdog, like Mahatma Gandhi or the Indians talking to the British Empire, the most powerful people in the world. Um, I think he, like many of the politicians, showed their, themselves, you know, with the half-truths and the spin. And using the word credible, which I think means believable, if you yeah. think Professor Ford's story is believable, then that already casts a lot of doubt on the character of Judge Kavanaugh and the other boys or, you know, men and uh, those things. So I think that there's a lot of self-interest and real venal and craven motivation there uh, from the old boy network to get oh. their boy through and hurry it through without an investigation and all that. And, and I think he's used to that. So just that's why I was saying, if you see where people are coming from, then you could, empathize and feel what they're feeling a little more. And I think they're not used to being grilled by people who are not from their class or their level or their color. It's a lot of elder white men deciding again about what women do with their bodies and what they talk about, just like in the abortion debate uh -huh. and um, other things. So I think it's taught us a lot. And although in one way things haven't moved that much, and in another way they've moved a lot since the human rights era and the marches of Martin Luther King Jr. and of the 60s and the feminist wave and, and, and so on. I think that's important. And I'm concerned about the younger generations, mm. like where they get their news now and what they can believe and what they can act on mm. and how they can do together better than we have and be less partisan and find a third way or a fourth way, not just this big divide 
in our country. So I work on that personally myself and also with my students and following mm. in terms of practices like exchange, the Buddhist practice of exchanging self and other and seeing things through others' eyes. Mm. Giving and receiving, putting yourself in the other's place. And also talk about it and write about it and try to live it myself mm. and, and practice mindful anger management and mindful reaction management and take a breath and think before I react and, and so on. And um, I think people really need to learn this and we can bring this into the education system too. Um, so it's the thing that you just did with Kavanaugh. Is that an example of, okay, if I were him, you know, yes. let's think about, okay, so that's a, an example yeah. of the, the practices I, that you take right. students through. Yeah. I would be shocked that, uh, you know, these people were attacking me. I, you know, look at my record as a judge. Of course, it's been hidden, his right. record as a judge. So that's where the lies and the half-truths come in. Mm -hmm. But um, that's where many of them are coming from. Um, but I can actually, here's, yeah. where I, uh, here's what I can relate to it. I've told half-truths. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, we, yeah. we all tell half-truths, yeah. even not even a malicious way. You know, we tell truths to ourselves about what we are or what we're not or who someone is or who someone isn't and what we've done and what we haven't done. It's, I think it's a protective mechanism. So from that standpoint, I can, I can kind of see it. Um, yeah, okay. I can, I can get there. It, it does feel still hard. <laughs> hearing, it, it is hard. Hearing. And this is hard work for everybody concerned. That's why we're all struggling. And I think that's important. You know, this makes us stronger and develop our inner strength, not just our outer muscles to to have force or strength over someone else, but develop our inner strength, such as patient forbearance, and to look, inquire, you know, in, I don't want to say investigate because I'm not the FBI, but, you know, <laughs> inquire further. What is true? What is real? What is important? How can we make this a win-win and not just a zero-sum you know, win and lose game. Mm. And uh, how can we have difficult conversations, as the book is called, uh, or nonviolent communication, another classic in this field. And how can we get, you know, get to yes when mm. so divided? And I don't know what's going to happen in the upcoming elections, but I'm definitely also at work on the outside level. And uh, we Buddhist teachers, uh, about 140 of us signed something that went around to our a few million of people on our followings and lists um, to get out and vote and, and things like that, how important it is and try to reach the young people to get out and vote in the mm -hmm. midterm. Yeah. Yeah. I have to remind my son who just uh, yeah. is the first election that he can vote in in North Carolina. So we really want him to vote. Get out and vote and to decry violence and to, you know, listen and learn to listen a little and be patient and, recognize that there's two or more sides to everything and things like that, just the basics. Mm. And um, also have the, the meta view that nothing is as important as we think it is in the moment. And I'm going to repeat that because that's, you know, like <laughs> the view and the mystics view. Um, and I'm sure Father Thomas Keating, who I saw the other day, the great the American Christian saint who's toward the, at the end of his life, he would agree uh, the meta view is that sometimes God squeezes us and that 
may hurt it also is part of closeness you know that's how <laughs> that's the first time i've heard that i like it part of closeness it's closeness you know it, it, mm -hmm. it's like being rolled on in bed by your partner maybe i don't know if that's gross <laughs> but i'm a macho 50s white guy too <laughs> part of the old boys network or other i'm sure so the closeness and the squeezing, you know, and with the squeezing, it's like birth pains can be painful, painful, but also joys and bring birth a whole new life and way of being. Of course, the Buddhist view is that unenlightened life is full of suffering and difficulties. So that's sort of the saying, as, you know, God squeezes us, doesn't just embrace us. <laughs> yes, it just doesn't embrace us a little bit, squeeze a little <laughs> bit too tight. And a little surrender, a little acceptance, a little acceptance can go a long way towards transforming things. Mm. So the middle way, not mm. all or nothing. All right. So as a woman mm -hmm. um, going through and watching on, on Thursday and on Friday, I was just thinking, I can't believe they're not doing an investigation. I, I, I just cannot mm. believe this. And I was... Like, what does this say about my role in society that someone can go in and cast a whole bunch of doubt and, and we're, and because people want to have this judge in before the election so that they will stay in power, uh, this woman is not going to be heard. And, you know, she's doing this great, incredibly brave thing. And it's just like every other kind of Me Too experience that's ever been reported. People are like, okay, I get it, you know. And I, I was feeling impatient and, and angry. So is the compassionate view for people who are so involved, what's a compassionate view that I can think of for the po politicians who want to stay in office and that or just, I, I, I don't feel compassionate. I feel irritated. Do your job. You know, why are you, well, <laughs> don't you I, do I just, I feel so irritated. I do too. And, and it is ir irritating. And that's, you know, the first noble truth of Buddha is the unenlightened life is irritating. And that's where God is squeezing us, if you want to put it in that way. Okay. And how we relate to it makes all the difference. You know, like, keep it real. Life is gritty and it's not all pleasing it's not all the way we think it should be and i try to remember that that nothing matters as much as i think it does in the moment i don't understand and know everything about this uh, and try to listen carefully so i listen to professor i i don't watch the news this much usually i listen to professor ford's presentation i guess it was thursday morning and then judge Kavanaugh's presentation thursday afternoon and, and thought about it um and try to cultivate some kind of even-handed equanimity or objectivity and, mm. and listen and see what's the self-interest and what are the motivations and what's my own self-interest and motivation. Mm. Of course, people want to get elected and be in power and it's called public service. Sometimes the service and the public gets a little forgotten in there in the cronyism and corruption and, you know, the business of America is business, as somebody famously said. But I like to remember back, and I'm a 60s guy, so I'm, excuse me if I'm dating and uh, dating myself. You're much younger, and I know a lot of our listeners are younger. Robert, RFK, Robert F. Kennedy, 
John Kennedy's brother, who was the attorney general when John F. Kennedy was president. He said in 1967 or eight, shortly before he was going to run for president and was assassinated also. He said, politics is an honorable profession. And nobody snickered. Who can say that today? I know. And that's sad, but that's the sad fact. And we live in a very challenging world and changing times. And it's not just American politics. We have to deal with the, the global politics, the environmental politics, and other powers like China and, and, and Russia and Europe and South America. So it's not just our politics and our partisanship. And I think we have to, we need some systemic change. Yeah. Look at you think Obama's, Obama's time. I loved President Obama and, I, and his wife and family. I thought they did such a marvelous job and showed such character and dignity. But he was caught in the partisan impasse and could hardly get anything done. Mm-hmm. And the amazing things he got done, like Obamacare, they immediately, st- and environmental protection agency things, they immediately started to unravel with, after the next election. Mm-hmm. So I try to stay in it for the long run. That also helps me keep my equanimity. Mm-hmm. I had a question and it's completely evaporated from my mind. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure I, it'll come back if it's important. Yeah, I will come back. Um, I think that, uh, oh, I, I know what I was, what I was thinking about is you know, I think of John McCain, and, and I think it's almost symbolic, right? Because to me, he represents that generation that you're talking about where politics had some grace and dignity and mattered at some deep level. People were really public servants. And, and sometimes I wonder whether, well, he, he was elected during that time and he stayed in office. And maybe what we've done is we elected people who represent us <laughs> maybe we don't like what they represent that's us that's what i'm saying maybe the, our interests well yeah maybe that is our interest mm-hmm. i mean you know the us whole living from america first and things like that I yeah mean, like down to it. yeah i mean uh, the only thing i could justify in my mind is in because trump um, I have challenges with is that, well, maybe he is representing either an unrepresented audience or represents some aspect. I mean, he is us. So when we, when we elect him, we're electing some version of yes. what's inside of us is now outside of us presiding over us <laughs> and having dominion over us. <laughs> maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe we can look at that as um, our lesson as we get squeezed <laughs> cheek to cheek with Trump. Well, if you use the word us, you have to recognize half the people in the country voted for him. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people approved of him, and, and recently his approval ratings are down. But life is complicated, and um, hopefully things will change and the pendulum will swing back in a few years. But I want to come back to the interchange and being in for the long run and cultivating some equanimity and compassion and action also, and look at the inequality of the systems and be more inclusive, mm. and things like that. And um, 
really make a difference and, and pass it on to the younger generations so that they, they have a better life. I despair sometimes of the world that we're leaving them, but I'm still optimistic. I try to look at the three quarters of the glass that's full, not just the half that's empty. Have you talked to um, an 18-year-old, 16-year-old, 20-year-old? They're, they're phenomenal. I actually they're think phenomenal. they're phenomenal. And just looking in their eyes gives me hope, even though maybe they're a little lost and there's a lot to be lost about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I remember that, I vaguely remember that energy and that optimism and you can shake the world and maybe in the 60s we did, maybe not. But every generation has that. Like you said, John McCain's generation did something too. And the so-called greatest generation did something great when there was dire need around World War II and all. Um, so I'm not even sure it's worse now than ever. I was discussing this with my Buddhist teacher's colleagues at a Buddhist teacher meeting that we have every year. And um, some of them were saying it's much worse now than others. And then somebody else said, I'm not sure it's worse than the two world wars and the depression. Mm, well, when the black, the bubonic plague wiped out one quarter of, you know, the, of, of Europe and things like that. That's interesting. So you can kind of view, there are many catastrophic events that force us to rebalance. This is, yes. this is our bubonic plague. <laughs> well, I'm, dying, I'm, dying, I'm dying on the inside. I guess I should be dying. I guess that's what it's trying to have happen, right? I'm dying on the inside. Maybe that part of me that is impatient and, yes. and, and, um, tells half-truths and gets mad. <laughs> maybe, oh, maybe that part is, is getting detoxified. That would be the most hopeful way of thinking about it. Yeah, some people think of it as a purification. You know, a disease is a purification. Yeah. You, the ripening of bad karma, don't make any more bad karma. You know, try to sow positive seeds rather than negative ones in the world and in your relations and in the loved ones and in the environment and so on. So maybe it's a wake-up call, but it's a harsh wake-up call. And the Buddhist teachings are that the enemy, the crisis, the critic can be our best teacher because they encourage us, they help us gain inner strength and forbearance and humility and know we're not in control and we're not always on top and you know things go up and down. But that's how I stay positive and hopeful during times without being Pollyannish. I mean, mm -hmm. I try to be a spiritual activist and do things and make things happen and make a contribution. And I think that's important, not just meditate and not just pray, which has its own effects. I think it's important for us to pull together so we're not pulled apart. And, you know, th these are good times to be talking together and to be uh, talking about these things and to be spreading the word. Mm. And getting the young people motivated and also, dare I say, give them a little a backing and direction and leadership, but also get out of their way and let them come forward, mm -hmm. you know, but always back them mm. and empower them and get out of their way and let them come forward. I think that's mm. very important. Mm -hmm. so, therefore, we're in the, new, the faster media now. Now we're on the web and, you know, have social yeah. media and other things that we all do not just uh, teaching people in person or writing books and articles. Yeah. And, uh, it keeps evolving. I think activism, you know, is a service 
And we need a compassionate and wise activism, not just making change for change's sake. Mm. Change for the better, a better world and a better future for everyone. When you think of wise, wise action, are there certain nonprofits or groups that you look and think, yes, this is a, an example of what that looks like, activism done? And you mentioned the women on the elevator with Jeff yeah. Flake as kind of an activism, yeah. you know, with wise activism. I think, I don't know if that you yeah. would characterize that as wise yeah. activism, but what does wise activism look like? Well, I think that's a good example of that, um, as you said. And I gave some reasons before about how they didn't overreact, even though they may have been tearful and emotional. They stayed on point and they were respectful and called him sir and, and uh, stayed on point with, and made their points and deeper and didn't just keep repeating the same thing and said, you know, what will you tell your children? And uh, it feels like you don't care about me, what happened to me and other survivors of abuse and they very much stayed on point and on their mission and that takes mindful awareness that's the wisdom in action right there not mm -hmm. getting lost or, or, or overwhelmed by what seems urgent but may not be that important mm -hmm. like somebody doesn't listen to you you know in a foreign land shouting louder doesn't help if they don't know your language <laughs> 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 that's foolish activism so and they kept but they kept the door open and they didn't let the pr lady move them away as she tried to do to get the door closed so they stood their ground but non-aggressively so that i think was really like gandhi's ahimsa non-aggression as well as his satyagriha truth power speaking truth truth powers mm -hmm. Mm. At, at once, and that's a good example. And there are some marvelous people who, who uh, in the world who embody this, and also some organizations. And um, I hesitate to mention or any of them, but you know, there are people to look at as models, and we know of such, some people like the Dalai Lama, who is not an angry, bitter man because the Chinese conquered his country, and you know, he, he's still trying to work out peaceful solutions. Mm -hmm. And I used to say Aung San Suu Kyi of Burma, who was under house arrest for 18 years, but the Burmese situation with the Rohingya is a little complicated. But I think the point is, it goes beyond inclusiveness. If we could be wiser, we could see through the illusion of separateness and realize the, our intrinsic oneness. And we all want and need the same things. We're just pursuing it through different ways based on our conditioning, you know, nature mm. and nurture. Mm. And that's mm. And so that also helps me stay in touch with the bigger picture mm -hmm. while dealing with what's right uh, in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that, that's how I find peace or keep some kind of peace and equanimity in these crazy times, even with watching the news. I used to avoid the news. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really enjoy watching the news about the Gore, Bush, Chad fiasco in Florida, or Anita Hill and Judge Thomas's hearing, or O.J. Simpson, and everybody in history has concluded that Anita Hill was telling the truth, but Thomas is on the court, and that O.J. was guilty, but the court decided he was innocent of that crime. Mm -hmm. He revealed his stripes and went to jail later for other things, but I think the middle way is the Buddha's greatest teaching, 
and that helps me keep equanimity. The longer view, you know, think global, but act locally here mm -hmm. in myself and with each other and not be so irritable. You know, you can't really suppress the feelings. Feelings are normal, but how you respond to them, like um, how you respond to the irritability with your husband. Mm -hmm. No, he actually gets irritated with me. Yeah, I, I totally, yeah, I, I, which I understand. And, and here's the thing that I, you know, here's the part of, of Buddhism that confuses me is mm -hmm. the whole idea of allowing something to pass, right? So, you know, if you engage in the mind and you act from a place where you're not really um, centered in your uh, Buddha in the backyard, let's say, and, and you act from that place, it's better not to act. So you, you don't want to you know, create bad karma. So, so I guess the problem though is that if you keep on finding yourself hitting the same roadblock each and every time, and you know, should I go to a psychologist? Like when, do you, when does psychology come in and when does it like, don't water the seed, pluck it out like a weed? Like it's, it's always very, it's unclear to me what, when you use what, and as you talk to a lot of spiritual people, they would say, don't feed, don't, you know, pluck it out. Um, if you talk to psychologists, they'll say, you know, that's a little bit too simplistic. So what's, what's, and I know you, we've had this conversation before about psychology and Buddhism. What, what, and now that I've traveled the path longer, I don't really know what the right thing to do is, or is it depends. Well, I think the truth you know, can be malleable and adaptable. Uh, truth isn't one of my favorite words. So we were talking about wisdom. You know, Buddhism is about cultivating and developing discerning wisdom and unconditional love and compassion, not about the truth or reality exactly. Mm. But I, I agree with that psychologist, as they said, that that's a little simplistic about just plucking it out. You can't pluck out your emotions. You know, you have your emotional intelligence and they have their important function in your life. Mm -hmm. So you can't just pluck out fear or anger. But you can start to look into yourself and others and see what causes what and how Th things go around and come around and if you're an angry person or you wake up on the wrong side of bed then you start you know awkwardly bouncing off things in your day and shit happens or you close the car door on your thumb or you know you have some kind of quote accident not paying attention it's not really an accident so i think you have to find a way to balance these things a big part of buddhism has always been psychology mm really a psychophilosophy, but psychology is one-third of the Buddhist canon since it is? 100 years ago. Yeah, the Abhidharma, one of the three baskets, collections of Buddhism is Abhidharma, which was 2,000 years and more before Freud and you know, Mesmer beginning of psychology. So it, it, there's a big overlap, and mm -hmm. not just with the mind, but with the heart and mind and body and the energy and the emotions and the spirit. Mm. And so I think we could work on those various things, look into them ourselves, like do some physical things or that help, like exercise or yoga, uh, you know, and loving and other physical things and good nutrition and balance, sleep and work ethic. Right. 
and also some mental things and also some spiritual things. And you don't have to be lost in all the doings. You just have like an integrated approach to whole living. You know, people have different words for these, like integral living or mindful living or being on the path. You don't have to get confused. Like we used to go to school and there was a new subject every 45 minutes in kids' school, but it wasn't that confusing as long as you had a list and you just went with everybody else. Right. You don't have to get confused. So you go through your day and you do your different things and you have your home life and your work life and your public life and your private life and it's not confusing. So spiritual mm. life is a part of that or it's all part of spiritual life. We're all spiritual beings trying mm. to live on this earth together. And I think, you know, some, some, many of these politicians are very much Christian-oriented, or they say so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I take things at face value. I'm not here to judge people's spirituality. And there's many, you know, much we can all learn from Jesus' message, and I think we should all learn it more. I'm not sure people know about other world religions, but most of us don't really know about our own religions. Mm-hmm. Many of these Christians you know, our sort of church going, but not really practicing the unselfish, unconditional, inclusive love that Jesus showed. Mm-hmm. Or mm. patience and forbearance and humility. And mm. I think that that's where we can do our work together and also to have public conversation about this non-judgmentally. Mm-hmm. You know, education is the silver bullet in higher education, not just college but life, learning, and wisdom, and, you know, ethical virtues, and all I know it's not very sexy to say, but we could all uh, learn a little about character development and passing it on to the next generations, especially for leaders. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking um, when you said that, um, I, um, there was a period of time when I uh, studied to be a mediator, and I would go to the small claims court in the city of Seattle. And if people didn't want to go to court, a faster route was for them to go and get mediation. And uh, I was, so I was the person that they'd come and see when they were arguing about, you know, a remodel that, you know, someone felt like they didn't really want to finish the remodel because of, you know, the work wasn't done to standards or, um, and, and, uh, there, I had many interesting cases. Um, one was um, two people who were alcoholics, and one had uh, taken the um, had a table that he had said for this other gentleman to watch, and then he disappeared. And so the other gentleman thought he had died, so he had taken the desk for, and and made it his own, and then also found out later that he took the girlfriend also because he thought this guy had passed so he took several things that this guy cared about or or had relations with things that this guy cared about and um, they were arguing about this table and who owned this table ostensibly right but they're arguing about something completely different Um, but it was so mediation was one of the best things that I could have ever done in my life. I, I because it, it, it does get you to equanimity because when you listen from the perspective of the guy whose table it was and who was so hurt that this gentleman took his table and it, there was just such a bond of trust that was broken when he felt like this guy took his table and he was just so hurt by that. 
And then the other guy was like, but you never even had the decency to tell me that you were alive. That also hurt. And you were just listening to just this raw truth of these two people. And you, and the more I did mediation, the more, and, and if you're truly, because I have no stake in anything, right? As a mediator, that's where you want to be. And when you listen to the two positions, you can get to the point where, wow, I, I kind of see this guy's position and I see this guy's position and there really is no right, right? It's whatever both of them at this very moment can agree on yeah. is the best thing. I, I um, ran into a gentleman when I was on an airplane and we were flying and I, I can't remember. I, I've, I've had several people that I sit to next to. Some people who are like the complete opposite of me. And so I, I was sitting next to a guy who was a Montana farmer, rancher. And uh, he said to me, you know, I don't think gay people should ever marry or have children. And I said, oh, okay, how come? And, you know, so I, and, and of course, I actually have several gay people in my family that are married and have children. So, I mean, this is not something I'm really thrilled to hear, but at the same time, yeah. I spoke to him during this whole, I don't know, I think we were talking for an hour and a half on the plane, and I was just not judging, I was just listening to his position, and I literally like, okay, I get it. Like, he thought that, marriage was something that was sacred in his mind and that it was between a man and a woman and that he felt that in, in from his religious upbringing. And it really was a front because it made him feel like it invalidated his marriage when two women were getting, or two men were getting married. Mm -hmm. It was an invalidation of his sacred bond with his wife and it hurt him. And I thought, Wow, like okay, and I was like, I, I can see that. Like, if you feel, if you truly feel that this is like a true invalidation of something that you hold sacred, your union with your wife is not sacred anymore. That would be hurtful. And then I said, but you know, I I have a a, a sister in law that has a son, and she loves him dearly. Don't you think if two people who love their children dearly love them? isn't that the main ingredient? Like if they love them, could, couldn't that just be enough? Does it matter that they're two different genders? And he got to the point, he's like, okay, I can see that. If they both love them. And I said, because there are a lot of heterosexual couples that don't love their children and have all these problems. So I, I can see how, you know, if you can get to that place, um, it- so That place is very important. It's the other point of view. Yeah. See through their eyes. Like, oh, I didn't realize it actually hurt them. Not, yeah. just, not just intellectual. It made the word marriage seem like less than they had invested in it or what it meant to them. Yeah, it was, that was interesting to see. I, I, it was, I don't know whether it meant anything to him, but it was one of the most <laughs> meaningful, plain conversations I've ever had. Well, I didn't know you were a trained mediator, CJ. So that means I, I'm thinking you're uniquely qualified to say. So how can we listen to the news and learn, know what's going on and be informed and then, you know, take action or be informed citizens and voters and make our decisions appropriately about life and not just on election day, but every day 
you know, how do we get to that objective, like hear both sides or more sides? And no, yeah. there's no one truth, but there's different um, ways of, of seeing it or experiencing it. So how do we, how do we navigate, you know, and how do we come, how do we unify rather than divide amidst so much division, whether it's partisanship or just um, local animosities, you know, not to mention border conflicts and what's going on in the Holy Land with the Jews and the Palestinians or in yeah. other points all over the world. Yeah, I think it's I think it's two things. One is to, so I, I'll, I'll give you an answer through an example. So I was in a book club, and after Trump was elected, um, there were, and the book had 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 some Republicans and Democrats, and and Seattle generally is very very liberal, and um, I saw two people who've been on this book club for years, like five or six dear friends. And they were, they were just at each other, arguing and arguing. And I just sat there. And at one point they said, and I didn't even know what to, I just sat there because it wasn't clear what the right thing to do was. And then someone said, CJ, what should we do? <laughs> I was surprised. And I said, well, one, I think you need to listen to each other because you're talking at each other and you're not mm -hmm. listening. I've noticed that, you know, this person says this, and the other person is not really listening to what this person is saying. They are, are taking a little fragment of that and then going off in some direction. Mm -hmm. And you're not really listening because you want to hold true in your position as being right. Your position has to be right, so you're not listening. And the other thing that I noticed is... waiting to continue. Well, you want to win your point. It's yeah. like it's right. like you're you're like you're doing a rally and you're playing tennis, right? You hit the ball over the court, the other person hits the ball, and you're waiting for the person to win. And there is there is no winning in this scenario, right? I mean, it's just about how can we both win, which sounds like, oh, how can we both win? But there is, there is uh, the the weird thing is is so I I said you're not listening to each other, and then they're like, I am listening. I'm like, no, you're not you're not even answering questions. So you said this question and then the person never answered. You never even gave her a chance to answer. You just rapid fired all these questions and then you never answered. So I think you're not listening and you're not, and you're not, and you're not asking any question, answering questions, nor are you really sincerely curious about getting to the answers. In fact, I had dinner with this woman afterwards because she's like, what should I do? And I said, you know, this is the greatest opportunity is to just get curious. If, person, if a person says, you know, I, I think mm -hmm. that educated people should be, you know, like how can people be educated and, and, you know, vote for Trump? Like, well, why don't you ask someone who voted for Trump and ask them why they voted for Trump? And you'll hear a lot of different reasons. I mean, I've asked folks, most of which give the answer of, I think it's good for me financially. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. I, I don't I, necessarily I hear that too. I travel around the country, you know, my mission, and I hear that too. Like the coal miners thought it was good for them, and other people think it's, it, you know, it's, it's good for them, and uh, it may or may not be, and they may or may not be well informed. That's why I was stressing before about us paying attention and knowing what's going on and having more discriminating wisdom and awareness. Yeah, but I think if you're hungry, if you're hungry, your child is on opioids, 
you know, you haven't worked for years, you don't have any sense of self-esteem left. Like someone who comes and offers anything, you're going to listen and want to believe what, what they're saying is true because what was there before, you know, was not working. So, mm -hmm. I mean, from that perspective, I totally understood why what happened happened. And we've all been informed. We didn't, I had no, I'm in Seattle. We're like going to, we're going to Amazon Go where we don't even have to put, there's no checkers. And we just go out and, and get whole meals and walk out because we put our card in. <laughs> like I'm living in this imaginary virtual world. I'm not part of reality. I know that to be true. Everybody has their part in reality. Huh? So I'm impress you on this. So as a me trained mediator and all, how can we unify and not divide? And you've mentioned listening, which I mentioned too. Listening, Thich Nhat Hanh mentions it too in many of his teachings that we have to learn how to listen and you know mindful listening or whatever you want to call it, just like open listening, not just waiting for the chance to hit, you know yeah, jump in monologue, but yeah. actually the dialogue or public conversation in the public square or whatever you want to call it. Um, now we can foment public conversation online in different ways and people who are interested pick up. So that's very interesting. And that's moved some needles also. Like yeah. the landmine group. You asked about nonprofit groups before mm -hmm. yeah. that I respected or learned from. Uh, they won the Nobel Prize, not the individual, but the landmine group. I think it was led by the, the women from Vermont who tried to do something about the rules about landmine sale. And because there were so many landmines all over Southeast Asia blowing the legs or the lives off of people, farmers wow. and children left over from the many wars of the 50s, you know, before the Vietnam American War, it was the French Indochina War and so on. So they got the Nobel Prize for that. And it was almost leaderless. It was really almost like the Occupy movement. They actually were effective. Mm. And I really respected that. And I think that um, Václav Havel, who was imprisoned in Czechoslovakia and actually took his people to freedom, you know, and uh, some of those movements in Eastern Europe that broke down the Berlin Wall are instructive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but, but how to do it today. This is a different era and time and place. Mm -hmm. How to, how to uh, you know, rather than build walls between us and Mexico or be more isolationist than me first, how to be less selfish and more sharing and inclusive and tolerant. And uh, uh, you know what? I have to tell you one thing that bugs me is, uh, I, and all this diversity training. Uh, because what I've noticed, I've seen people, and, and maybe it's just I've seen people do it in ways that I don't appreciate, but, you know, we're all different, right? So because I'm Asian, I have a certain frame of mind. I was raised, my, my two parents are both from China. I have a certain kind of way of looking at things. But I think one of the things to answer your question before is that I think we have to... Um, under ask a lot of questions don't assume we know anything right i mean if you see crazy rich asians that may not be my life if you see amy tam that may not be my life so instead of presuming that that is my life 
Yeah, and then I think, and I think there's not a lot out of a lot of asking questions of what is it like to be Asian American? Do you think that there are biases in or? But what I've seen in a lot of this kind of let let's unify together is more like a blaming and judging. You shouldn't be, you know, first you have to call me this gender pronoun, then you have to do this, and then you have to do that because the way you're doing it is wrong and bad and makes me feel bad. And it feels like finally I have like the nerd's revenge. Like let's say this was Asian. I can be like, finally I have the nerd's revenge. I can go and tell you all the things that you're doing wrong. I just think that that, that actually is something that is guised under unifying, but I think actually what it does is it separates us more than unifies us. I think it's good to differentiate when you when someone needs to differentiate, like, why do you spend so much time talking about the ACT, okay? Like, I can tell you, I can tell you why I care so much about that with my son. It would require, like, a longer cultural conversation, but to, like, stereotype me as a tiger mom is like, you know, I'll tell you why I'm a tiger mom. Okay. Like, <laughs> but I think that there's more, I guess to answer your question, it's like less blaming, less judging, getting more curious. Cause there's always curious. some good reason why someone mm-hmm. is a particular way. And if you yeah. like the Montana rancher, if I just said, well, I completely disagree about, you know, two gay women not being able to be married. I think it's the right thing. And I don't like, I want to understand why you think that, you know, like that wouldn't have done anything. But I said, well, I'm curious. How come, why do you think that? Or what, 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 what brings you to that conclusion? And he said, well, because my wife and I, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, how long have your wife and you been married? And, and then he explained, and he said, it does, it's not really part of my religious upbringing. I'm like, well, what is your religious upbringing? And what does it say about this? And I thought, well, if that is his religious upbringing, and this is what he truly believes, then I can understand why he would think that so but you have to get curious and ask questions i think way more often i think for me listening and questioning and opening yes and i'm thinking also i'm going back to like the aggressiveness in telling people they're wrong or you know trying to homogenize everybody and everything so i think the middle way is called for again here and also working on our own unbridled aggression or insatiable craving or you know whatever it is or paranoia or the things that we compensate before but for like do we overwhelm other people because we're feeling fearful or insecure or anxious and things like that you know putting forth an extra strong exterior yeah Yeah. public people often do you know, they have a big exterior and a small, like, Wizard of Oz behind the screen inside. And the gap between the real person inside and that exterior is, is a killer. Mm. That brings a lot of addictions and suicides and, you know, dysfunctional celebrity act, action and all that. But they are us, and we do the same because ourselves are so presumptuous. That it's filled... Myself has filled up so much of my life that there's almost no room for that which is beyond myself. Mm. And I've been working on this my whole adult life. So I'm very sympathetic. But you're saying so the people thing who is are selfish and don't know how to get out of it, you know, or want to get out of their rut but don't want to leave the rut behind. Mm. I'm very sympathetic. Mm. Mm. So what you're saying, like you are one way inside and you're another way outside? What does that wait, what does that mean? But people who 
well, as people call, some uh, people have a Napoleon complex if they're too short, mm -hmm. they need to be big in the world. Yes. Some people feel very small inside, so they project a very big outside. And the gap between uh. the tin man or the cowardly lion outside and the little cringing, fearful being inside is a huge gap. And that's an inner conflict that has to be dealt with and resolved. And that's where psychology and psychologically astute physical and emotional and energy, uh, you know, inquiry practices, spiritual mm -hmm. practices can come in. And also asking for help. Mm -hmm. Getting help, not just from therapists and doctors. Like um, your rancher probably prays to God for help or Jesus. So mm -hmm. that's asking for help. It takes a lot of lowering your pride to ask for help. Right, right. Whether you believe in God or not, asking for help is a, is a questioning and a listening. Yeah. No, I, I recommend that. And I often say when I don't know what to do, I put my hands together in prayer or namaste and just put my head down and quiet my heart and mind or just let it roll and see what comes up. And often it empties out a little and something comes up or remains or something, you know, the inner voice speaks, mm. the Buddha within speaks. Uh, things become clearer when you stop stirring and shaking it and the mud falls mm. to the bottom. So I think that like asking for help and listening is also a good way. Yeah. Do that, however you can do that in, in yeah. practice. <laughs> I did that with my husband the other day. He said, you really made me mad when you did blah, blah, blah. And I was about to, I, I was about to say, well, I did blah, blah, blah because of blah, blah, blah. And um, luckily, I had just been meditating, and he said, you really mad, made me mad when you did X. And I thought about it, and I was breathing, and I thought, oh, what I really want to do is explain to him why I did X. And that's not really listening to him, which is I really made him mad. Mm -hmm. And so I said, hold on, hold on. So he said, you really made me mad. I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on. And then I was like, you don't need to like say this other thing really? It's not going to help. And it's not helpful. And it's not loving. And then so he just watched me. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> he said, what was happening? I was like, you don't even want to hear what was happening. I just I'm sorry that I made you mad. You're completely right. And I'm sorry. And it's just <laughs> that's a big shift. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's where the it's not yes. just a little mental you know a better retort <laughs> it was it was just like you know god please tell me what to do i'm sorry and you know what that thing would have gone on for like 10 minutes on and on me explaining and then him explaining why his thought about why he was justified in being mad was right but it was just like you know 10 minutes no one you know one minute contemplation one minute saying you're sorry it was done so I find, you know, a lot of the outer life and the public life today is stressful and fast-paced and tension-producing, and maybe it always was. I don't know about your Montana rancher seatmate or people in the old generations in the slower days, but, um, you know, we have so many interruptions today from communications of all kinds at every moment, but I think having a wholeness of intention or integrity of intention in the present moment is like a character 
virtue that we can develop. Mm. I pray that that's and true. Then there's nothing to be, then you don't feel there's anything to be distracted from. It's like, oh, this is my job is dealing with this now. Yeah. Not why are you bothering me? I'm trying to do my job. Yeah. And of course, it's not black and white. Yeah. And it's not that easy to pluck out the habit yeah. of, you know, reacting irritably, use your word, or impatiently, or resistingly. And also to know that you have the freedom and autonomy. You know, people talk about freedom a lot, but rarely talk about and understand autonomy within interdependence. Mm-hmm. For example, just because there's an interruption, you know, somebody knocking at the door doesn't mean you have to stop what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The phone ringing, if your phone still rings, whatever it does or plays <laughs> Beethoven's fourth, you know, I don't know. <laughs> doesn't mean you have to pick it up. Yes. Yes, it's it so may be seem urgent. That doesn't mean it's important, and maybe you're doing something more important, like bandaging your child's bleeding something. Right. And who knows what it is at the door? And if it's really important, I guess they'll stay there long enough. <laughs> I'm bandaging my child something. I can't yeah. answer the door. <laughs> but uh, it, practically speaking, like people talk about road rage and all these stereotypical reactions that one might have. Like I try to practice again that kind of loving kindness and empathy. Really, think well. I don't really know what's going on with that driver. Maybe they have a pregnant person. I guess it's a woman. A pregnant woman, you know, or animal. A pregnant (laughs) woman in the in the car. A pregnant woman animal. A pregnant female. Delivery place. I'll let them go. I'm not gonna, you know face after them and, and smash them or raise my fist or, you know, try to teach them a lesson. If we knew more about all of these circumstances and conditions, I guarantee you we have a different relation to these stimuli. I agree. The response would be much more principled. So I try to bring that kind of mindful reactivity management or anger management in between stimulus and response mm-hmm. and not just blindly react. And these things take practice, you know, like breathe, relax and smile before you just retaliate in kind or think before you act or try to see people as, you know, as like you, like the soul level, not just the, the color or the shape or the personality. Mm-hmm. You know, soul is just a placeholder, but, you know, not just what they look like, but what you projected onto them before you, they said or did anything. And, and, it, that's what Ramdas likes to call it the soul level. Uh, it re- relates to everybody as souls, including these politicians or anybody. And I'm again, they're worst bogeymen in history, you know, genociders and all. But at the soul level, things look different. Yeah. At the soul we level, we all have. Not pity. <laughs> I love how we, how we can be love. We can be love or bubonic plague, right? And <laughs> we have all both. Yeah, we're both. Well, it's very uh, nice being with you as always, CJ, tiger mom or not, <laughs> light light carrier or, I or bubonic pig. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it takes all kinds and all things to make a world. I mean, that's a cliche, but it's so true. Absolutely. Um, so I'd like to complete our time together, especially since we're so 
interested in trying to see the unity and diversity and bridge the conflicted gaps, but not homogenize everything with a little prayer and a little chant and a little contemplative sweetness, let's say a little meditation, a moment of mindfulness, because we can take a breath and breathe, relax, and smile at any time in the day, wherever we are, even just waiting at a light in our car or standing at the elevator before we go up in the tall building. So I assume you make yourself comfortable. So breathe, relax, and center, focus, and smile. Don't work too hard at it. Just breathe, relax, and smile. Done is what had to be done, as Buddha said. Feel your body, feel your butt making contact with the seat or wherever you feel it or the pulse in your wrist or temples or the breath at your belly or diaphragm. Just feel something embodied, somatic. Breathe, relax, and smile and just follow the breathing. Breathe, relax, center. Focus, balance, and smile. If you don't want to smile, that's okay too. Just breathe, relax, and let go. Let be. That's the secret. Letting things come and go. All this impermanent, ownerless phenomena and mind stuff just rolling on. Letting go means letting come and go. Letting be, friends. Not suppressing and not being carried away by the flotsam and jetsam on the stream of consciousness, the river of experience, just watching it all go by and enjoy the show. Just breathing. Enjoy the joy, the inner peace, the serenity, the natural flow, natural meditation. Nowness, awareness, the true Buddha within. Right now, Imaho, marvelous, yes. Breathe, relax, and smile. Sit like a mountain. Heart, mind, like the sky. Open, spacious, luminous, inclusive, free.
this moment, at only moment, this breath, only breath. Yes. The joy of natural meditation. Inner peace, sublime silence. Naturalness is the way. Yay. May all beings everywhere with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do, we're pursuing it through so many different ways. May all be awakened, liberated, healed, fulfilled, and free. May there be peace and harmony in this world and an end to war, violence, injustice, inequality, poverty, and oppression. And may we all together fulfill the promise of this gorgeous, mysterious spiritual journey. One family, one beloved community, one satsang, one sangha, one mandala circle, one beyond separation. And I bow to the Buddha, the light, divine, the goddess in your seat, don't overlook her. Ah, how sweet it is, Imaho, marvelous. See you next time on the Awakening Now podcast, Lama Suri Das and CJ Lu. Signing on for next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.